This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Forever. Dog. Comic books, comic time. Writers and artists are on the line. They make a splash as a comic's read and take us on a trip behind the spread. Watch out for comic book commentary. Spinning a winning inside, fix how they got a hot idea. Narrative, character, visual tricks, and onomatopoeia. Uh huh. It's comic book commentary. Welcome to comic book commentary. My name is Mark Wade. I'm the writer of, well, make a sandwich. It's going to take a while. Uh, you get Superman, Batman, Justice League, X-Men, Daredevil, Captain America, Fantastic Four, Archie, uh, Batman Talking Toothbrush, uh, DC Cosmic Cards. There's just – the list goes on because I'm old and I've been doing this for a long, long time. Um, I've managed to hit most of the characters in the DC and Marvel pantheon and every once in a while I'll you know run out of an assignment. Like Daredevil was the last big thing I did for – Marvel Comics. And we ran sort of to the end of the run. My artist, Chris Somney, said, I can't think of any ways to draw Radar Sense anymore. And I kept running out of ways to have Daredevil compare things that smell like this or that because I ran out of things that made sense and were just stupid. So we decided, all right, this is the time to pull the plug. Time to look for something else. I sit down with Tom Brevoort, the executive editor, and Nick Lowe, who is a big shot editor up there. And we're like, okay, what what next? Well, what have I not done? Uh, it's a very short list at this point. I've not done a run on Iron Man, but that job was taken. Uh, I've not done a job on Thor, but I'm not a fan. I'm, I, I, I appreciate Thor. I respect Thor. I think Thor is a cool character, but I'm a science guy and mythology has never been my my thing. So that left Doctor Strange, which again, for a science guy, at first made no sense But as usual, all it really takes is me sitting down for a day and thinking about the characters, especially the ones that I've never really worked with before. And my method is really sitting down, blank piece of paper in front of me, and just start typing. Not story, not plot, but just here's my take on the character. Here's what I know about the character when I was a kid. Here's what's happened to the character since. Here's what I find myself interested in about the character. Here's what it's like to be that character, to live in that skin, to have those powers every day and what the world looks like to you if you're that character because that seems to be the the best entryway for me. What do I have in common with that character? And with Daredevil, it was, you know, it was, uh, frankly, it was depression. That was part of it. He's diagnosed the depression and so was I. Um, bit of a downer for the start of the podcast. But 
you know, with with other characters, with Doctor Strange, it is the tendency I have to sort of keep my cards close to my vest when I'm talking to my my friends, and uh, maybe not letting the whole me out at all times, not being completely full disclosure. Uh, about who I really think I am. And I think Dr. Strange, who is a master of the mystic arts and keeps some of the most important secrets in the universe for very good reasons, I think we can re- – I think I could, that I could tie into. Anyway, we sat down. We said, okay, Dr. Strange makes sense. I've never had a run at Dr. Strange. So what's the first thing that happens? Well, I like going back to ground. I always like going back to the original source material with all due respect to everything that anybody else has done with these characters over the past 40 or 50 years. I enjoy going back to ground and then building back up from there, not trying to replicate what things were like in 1963, not by a long shot, but just going back and looking at the core elements of the character. Who is he? What does he want? What's he about? What's in his way? Especially with the Marvel characters, what's his fatal flaw? So that's kind of what I did. I went back and looked at the original Steve Ditko, Stan Lee, Doctor Strange stories, did my heavy reading there, and then did some Steve Englehart and did some Peter B. Gillis and did some Roy Thomas and did a lot of Jason Aaron and, you know, a bunch of other people in between. There's a lot of good people who've worked on Daredevil – or sorry, Doctor Strange in the last 50 years. Uh, it was enlightening. It was genuinely enlightening. And – I came to care about that character more than I thought I would. And so I was able to bring that to the table. My first question was, what is your life like if you're Doctor Strange and you wake up one day and it's all gone? There's nothing. You can't you're, – you're no better than Penn and Teller in terms of doing tricks. I, side note, little did I know that as I was building the story, the fill-in guy, Donnie Cates, a really good guy, was also telling – pretty much the same story, but I didn't know that. So, and by the time I found out, uh, we were already on our way. So Dr. Strange lost his powers sort of twice in nine months, but wave that away. We move on and we picked up with my run, which is the brand new issue one of, of Dr. Strange. And the idea was that he wakes up, he's lost his powers, no idea why, nothing's working for him. He can't even go to the other magicians in the Marvel Universe and ask for help or guidance because he's afraid that whatever he has, if it's some sort of illness or mystic cancer or something like that, and you know, what if I communicate that to others? I can't take that risk. So trying to figure out what to do, you know, falling further and further into despair, he goes, you know, he goes in the sanctum sanctorum. Uh, and for the first time, he gets lost for three days in that place because it's a weird mystical shape-shifting building that kind of accommodates whatever you need. Uh, and he, he finally hits rock bottom. It's his The tremble in his hand starts to come back. Dr. Strange's origin, for those who do not know, and let's go over this real quick. Uh, fabled surgeon, arrogant, arrogant surgeon, uh, complete jerk, loses control of his car on the highway. Boom, hits a tree, horrible accident, wakes up. He survives, but his hands are just ruined. Is there, They still look okay, but the nerves are shot. There's no way to repair them. He'll never be a surgeon again. He's lost everything. And so he scours the world looking for a help, looking for cures. Can't find anything. Ends up at the end of his rope in Tibet. Hears of a mystic ancient one in a temple somewhere who might be able to help, might be able to give him his life back. He goes to the guy and says, please help me. And the guy says, well, 
you know what? We'll, we'll get to that in a minute in the podcast because we're going to go over that in the book itself. Anyway, that's the story of Doctor Strange. Uh, so he has nothing. He doesn't know what to do. When you don't know what to do when you're a Marvel superhero and you've reached the absolute nadir of your existence and you have to find a way to build back up again, who do you turn to but Tony Stark? Because if there's anybody in the Marvel Universe who's really good at, at coming back from nothing, it's Tony Stark. So the two of them have a conversation. Doctor Strange explains his problem. What do I do? How do you do it when you fall from grace as you do regularly and – Tony takes umbrage at this to some degree, but says, well, you've lost, you know, all the magic on earth is gone for you. You've lost all your skills here, but you're not thinking big enough, Tony Tony says. He points up at the sky and he says, look, look, there's so much magic out there. There's artifacts and scrolls and mystic talismans and alien civilizations. And I would encourage you to look off Earth and see what we can find in terms of alien magic. Aliens have magicians too. Strange balks at this, but decides this is the only option. Dr. Tony gives him a, a specially made custom star cruiser, sends him off. Strange is nervous about that just because the last time he got behind the wheel of anything didn't end well for him. And sure enough here, same thing. I'm summarizing issue one view, by the way. We're going to talk about issue 10 I promise I won't go through the ensuing nine. I'm just going to hit the high points. I just want to bring you up to speed. Uh, Dr. Trench crash lands on an alien planet. Hijinks ensue. Uh, he's met by a fellow captive of this alien race, and her name is Kana. And she is an alien uh, technomancer. She is uh, a magician as well, a sorcerer as well. But her deal is that rather than using ancient talismans and uh, ancient ingredients and ancient spells, she manages to incorporate technology into what she does. Like what is the what is the chemical equivalent of Eye of Newt? You know, what is the chemical equivalent of, you know, Toa Frog? How do you make that work? And so the two of them team up, they escape, and the two of them go on adventures for about five issues, scour the galaxy and Doctor Strange along the way. Not only learns new tricks and learns a bunch of new stuff, but gets his mojo back. And in doing so, the reward for him is that he is introduced to the Forge, which is a thing that exists only for him. It is a giant mystical forge that only he can enter. It has uh, everything, everything you could possibly need to make magic artifacts. And that is courtesy of a local comics retailer named uh, Glenn Patterson, who runs uh, Heidi Ho Comics here in Los Angeles. Shout out to you because that's that was his idea. Was, it was, he came to me and said, why doesn't Dr. Strange make his own stuff? Well, that's a, that's a really good question. He's always using the eye of Akamoto or the, you know, the flames, the fall team or this or that. Why doesn't he just make his own stuff to the point where people generations from now will be using the staff of strange or the wand of Dr. Strange. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So that's where we are. We've we've set him up with the forge. We've uh, leveled him up. Not only has he got his mojo back, but he's come back with uh, Jeffrey Patterson. By the way, I believe is. Let me just correct myself there. Um, sorry, Jeffrey. Comes back to Earth. Mojo back. Brings Kana in his wake. Um, next few issues. Hijinks ensue. Uh, kind of breaks away from him because there's a secrecy to him. There's a way he just managed to keep secrets all the time and it makes her nuts. She leaves. Dr. Strange is sort of at his nadir emotionally. He's got his stuff back. He's back in the sanctum. He's got, he's got his powers back. He's, he's probably better than ever. But once more, people have walked out on him because of the way he keeps secrets. So that is where we pick up with Dr. Strange 10, also Dr. Strange 400. Uh, the way the numbering, mystic magic numbering at Marvel works is that if you're a comics fan and you've been following for the last 10 or 15 years, the tendency for DC and Marvel and other characters, or other companies both, is to, you know, they, the sales dwindle, dwindle, dwindle. And so they relaunch with a brand new number one. And they keep doing this over and over again to the point where even I, who have read every Marvel and DC comic book ever, can no longer keep track of is this. Is this uh, New Warriors Volume 3? Is this New Warriors Volume 4? I can't keep it straight. And so Marvel decided, and I think this is really cool, and you'll see it on the covers, has decided to they'll run with a new numbering for whatever they've relaunched, but in a little tiny box underneath the number on the cover, if you'll look, it says LGY number whatever. That's legacy number. That is, if you st- if you started from the very beginning here and added all of the Doctor Strange issues, all the Spider-Man issues, whatever, that's the number you'd actually be up to if you hadn't relaunched. And I like that. I like that from a filing perspective as a guy who keeps his comic books, uh, you know, nicely organized. I like the fact that it lends that sense – reminds you of that sense of history. And so we're coming up on Doctor Strange number 10. And doing the math, I was able to go to my editor and go, you know, this is also going to be Doctor Strange 400. We should do something really neat with this. And uh, my editor, Nick Lowe, was all about that and made some great suggestions. And the most important was let's go out and fish for other Doctor Strange artists of the past who are legendary and, and saleable and good to work with. And let's do some bonus features in the back. So that's what you're holding in your hand right now, ideally. You're holding Doctor Strange 10, a.k.a. Doctor Strange 400, and let's walk through it a little bit. I don't know which of the 8,000 variant covers you have, so let's just get to the story itself. Remember I mentioned this guy named the Ancient One that Doctor Strange went to all those years ago, taught him everything he knows, brought him up. Well, we started and we cliffhanger the end of last issue with Strange alone in his sanctum. Guy walks in the door. It's the ancient one who walks up to him, kneels down before him and calls him master and asks for help. Dr. Strange, of course, flummoxed by this. You, I, this is akin to, uh, you know, the, the, the most smartest person you know coming up to you and going, uh, 
you two are the you are the genius before me. So Doctor Strange is, is baffled by this. This calls for explanation. This is where we begin our story. That is the ancient one on the floor, kneeling, bowing before Doctor Strange, who is sort of gobsmacked by this. And as we turn to page two, and by the way, Jesus Saiz, the artist, colorist of this series. Oh my God. It's one of the best guys I've ever worked with. And the it just is beautiful looking. It's it's you know, it has fantasy to it, but it also has a realistic look to it. It's just beautiful stuff. This guy, if it's not that he's not won every award in the industry, that's a crime. So as we see, Ancient One explaining why he's come to Doctor Strange. Uh, he has been yanked out of the astral plane that he has been living on for some time. He's abandoned his corporeal body some time ago, lived in the astral plane, moved on, you know, rising and advancing in the spirit. He's yanked back to the corporeal plane by a strange man who identifies himself only as the accountant. That's all we really know him as. He, as you'll see, you know, you've got some beautiful – you look at uh, – we're now on page – let's do the page count. We're on page three and explains to him, look, we've got uh, – we got a problem here. I, uh, you're the most adept sorcerer in the universe, and let's fix that. So the accountant calls forth a Cinnabon skeleton. I, mean, I made up after going to Cinnabon and extracts from the Ancient One magically a little bit of his brain, a little bit of the brain that contains all of his magical knowledge. So now he's just immortal again. That is why the Ancient One has come to Dr. Strange looking for help. Dr. Strange doesn't know what to do because part of the immediate urgency – and then as a writer, here's the thing. This is kind of, it came to me late in the game. I knew what the story was going to be. Uh, Ancient Man comes to Dr. Strange, doesn't have powers. What do I do? And I realize – and so Dr. Strange has to act. But I realize there's a sense of urgency that is not there. Like he's just lost his powers. But what does that really mean? He's going to hang out and you know play solitaire for a few weeks while Dr. Strange does his thing. No. I needed a sense of urgency and it occurs to me that that's if a, a guy that old, hundreds and hundreds of years old, uh, is being kept alive by the magic in his soul. So without it, Dr. Strange panicking, realizes the clock is ticking. This, this guy's going to die. Dr. Strange literally gives him a day of his own lifetime, maybe a couple of, of days off his own lifetime, his own life energy to sustain him for a couple of days, hoping that the uh, ancient one will stay alive while Dr. Strange teaches him, teaches his mentor everything he can remember about magic, teaches him. And, and so the student becomes the teacher, teaches him enough to sort of help keep him alive for a while. But there's still the question of who is this man? Who is this accountant? Who did this to my friend? Who did this to my mentor? Uh, finally, using the eye of Agamotto, digging around in the ancient one's brain. Sorry, I'm doing page count here. Uh, Finds out a little bit enough, a little bit enough about the accountant to go trace him, figure out who this guy is, where he is. I want to point out on panel three of page seven, you've got uh, a ghost dog there in the corner, as one does. I believe that's that's the ghost dog's only appearance in this story. My my bad, but there was not much room to put him in. Bats is an invention of Donny Cates, the preceding writer. Ghost dog who can talk. Uh, and talks intelligently. I did, most dogs, if they could talk, would only say food, 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 squirrel, squirrel. Not this guy. He's a sarcastic little guy. Um, 
I wish I could give him more screen time, but we have more urgent things to move on to because Dr. Strange goes and finds out where the accountant is. We turn the page and suddenly we're in an infinite office of alien creatures working on computers, taking orders and doing math. This is me cracking out my inner Steve Gerber. Uh, Steve Gerber was a writer of Marvel in the 1970s, uh, Man-Thing, Howard the Duck, also wrote The Defenders, which was in the early 70s, I will contend to the day I die, one of the very best superhero comics coming out at the time uh, and super inspirational to me. Steve did this – Steve beautifully, beautifully married superhero traditions to a sense of the absurd but not to the point where it was f- so funny you didn't take the peril seriously. Just Steve was willing to reach outside himself and come up with strange and odd visuals and strange and odd things like, you know, Howard the Duck and Duck the Talks. And so this is me channeling my ear to Steve Gerber talking about how he shows up at the accountant's office and it's just full of these creatures. Dr. Strange has no idea what's going on. They're just running around. can't talk to them. They're, they're balancing magic in the universe. That is their job. They are making sure that if, the, if some sorcerer on another planet is doing X, Y, Z, then he better be aware of the fact that he's drawing magic from someplace else and there's going to be a catastrophe there if something isn't balanced. It's that. They're, that is the accountant's job, as Stephen finds out as he goes into his office. The accountant's job – we always say magic has a price. That is the the thing we have said over and over again in the Marvel Universe for the past 10, 15 years, uh, which is sort of not only a really good way of framing magic and makes it a little more tragic and makes it a little more so that you can't just wave your hands and make stuff happen uh, with no consequence, but it also makes it easier for the writer to not you know, to have some limitations on him so that the magic, magic people can't just show up and wave their hands and everything's cool and then as a writer, why don't you do that every month? Why doesn't Dr. Strange come and solve all of everybody's problem if you can do that level? So the idea is that magic has a price. And Dr. Strange doesn't really acknowledge this at this point. He feels like he's leveled up. He feels like that's baloney. That's I'm I'm past that now that I've gone through my alien experience and I've gone through space and I've gone to the forge and this and that and I've I've leveled up. And whether or not he really has, that uh, remains to be seen. As the story moves on, but as the accountant says, look, magic comes at a cost and somebody has to balance the books. Dr. Strange has no use for this, pins him up against the wall, not happy about this. And that's when he finds out that the accountant has no use for this whatsoever, way more powerful than him and can take away Dr. Strange's powers just with force of will. We do a thing on the bottom of, I want to say, page, uh, let's see. Uh, page 10, 11. Let's say it's page 11. I'm sorry. I don't have page numbers in front of me here. I apologize. Uh, last panel, I've been doing this thing where when Dr. Strange speaks spells, he sp- the copy, the type on the in the balloon is red rather than black, just to a little subtle thing to, to indicate that something's going on. And so I like the effect that our letterer gave to that last panel where you see as Dr. Strange is trying to speak his spells – the red is fading to normal black as he speaks because again nothing's you know nothing's working his his powers have been taken away by the accountant turn the page the accountant reveals what's really been going on he's also he's not just the ancient one he's been after he also went to 
some of Doctor Strange's old associates. You've got Wong, who was his aide-de-camp and faithful servant slash assistant for, I don't know, most of the last 45 years of Doctor Strange, uh, left the series a couple of years ago to go off on his own. Uh, you have Zelma, uh, Jason Aaron, Chris Pacello, invention from their run on the series. Uh, Zelma is a sort of a meek, mild-mannered librarian who comes across Doctor Strange and begins to be taught a little bit of magic by him, not a whole lot. She's not That's not really her goal. She doesn't really want to be a magician per se, but she's learned enough from Doctor Strange to sort of get by in the world uh, as magic sort of brushes up against her. And then we have uh, in the center there Kana, who is, again, the alien sort of Indiana Jones assistant that Doctor Strange picked up, partner that Doctor Strange picked up in space. The accountant now has them all behind bars. Uh, what are you going to do? You can't free them, he says to Doctor Strange. And he just throws Doctor Strange around like a rag doll in his office and says, look, you're not getting it. This is – I did this. I took these people in. I took the Ancient One's powers I did to, to bring you here begin to, to teach you the lesson. This is – you keep using magic. Ever since you've gone into space, you've been doing amazing things. You've been doing magic. You've been calling upon magic that you never knew even existed. And you've not paid the price. You've not paid the price and that is your problem. And Strange again, you know, starting to sink into him. Maybe he's done something terribly wrong. The, the idea behind there's a price to magic. I called Jason Aaron who did the, the last really huge successful run. I called Jason. I said, we say this. Magic has a price. What does that mean really? What? Why does it have a price other than it makes life easier for the writers? We talked about it and I think what we – came up with, and mostly Jason, I believe, was that it is to say that when you as a sorcerer invoke the powers of another giant being, Dr. Strange is always saying, you know, by the moons of Munapar, by the flames of the fault. And he, when he says that, he's literally borrowing magic from that entity that he's calling out to. And he's been doing this for so long that some of them, the when he keeps talking about the flames of the faultine, that's one of his big go-tos. Well, the Faultine have had it with him and they're tired of him sucking all their magic down all the time and they're, they want remuneration. They want their pound of flesh. They are tired of Doctor Strange in recent months calling upon the flames of the Faultine and using it and not giving anything back. There are many civilizations out there, the many – ancient powers out there that feel this way about Dr. Strange, the faulting of the first ones who said, all right, we, we want the account. We've enlisted the accountant to do something about this, to get this back. So that's where we are. Dr. Strange manages to thwart the accountant for a moment, basically just by beating the crap out of him because as the accountant says, you know, you got no powers. What are you going to do? And Dr. Strange remembers that Wong taught him everything he knows about martial arts. So boom, 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 lays the accountant out flat, frees his friends, Problem solved. All good. Friends are free. Nope. Accountant says, nope, look, there's a price. You screwed up. This is why I took away your powers in issue one. You didn't know who did it. You didn't know why it happened. I did this and I gave the stuff back to the faulting because I'm trying to save you. I'm trying to help you, you moron. And that's why I dragged your friends here to make the point I've been trying to prevent on your behalf that – the faulting have lost their patience. They've lost their talent tolerance and they've demanded 
all of Earth in return. Doctor Strange, again, reeling with this, who's arrogant enough to say, you know, that I owe them something. And then the voice comes from off panel. We are on page 18. Who walks in but Dormammu? Dormammu, inarguably. I'm going to say arguably, but inarguably, Doctor Strange's greatest foe. Uh, an offspring of the Faultine, uh, the bastard offspring of the Faultine, uh, who was who the, the, the black sheep of that race, uh, gone off on his own. Uh, the Doctor Strange of the Mystic Universe, the Doctor Strange of the Mystic Planes. He is he is Doctor Strange's equal, if not in some cases his superior. Dormammu, Lord of the Dark Dimension, steps in and says, speaking on behalf of the Faultine, yeah, we want uh, we want the Earth. Doctor Strange fights back. This is not going to happen. I'm not going to stand for this. Uh, I will not let the Faultine set foot on Earth. And that is when Doctor Strange, page 19, is when, that's when Doctor Strange looks around and suddenly they're back on Earth and Dormammu says, uh, they're already here. Ah, too late. Already here. And there they are, Godzilling their way, giant faultine beings Godzilling their way through New York City. Uh, Jesus Saiz, who is the colorist, made a really interesting choice here. I, In my script, I said it would be interesting if each of the faultine, they, they, again, that big flame-covered head that we associate with Dormammu, which I, technically is not necessarily how the faultine look, but, you know, give me a pass here. They look great here. And I'd said something to the effect of, what if they all had different color heads, like a blue guy and a green guy and a yellow guy? And Jesus presumably played with that, and it's cute. It's a clever idea, but it doesn't lend itself to the drama of all of that dark, sinister red light coming off these characters and bathing all of New York City. And again, that color palette on that page 19, the the way he uses the shades of red to just you know, hit the point, we are in danger, we are in deadly danger. Beautiful stuff. Turn the page, last page of the first story. They don't know what to do. All the assistants are like, okay, what do we turn to Dr. Strange? What do we do? We had no idea this is really bad. What do we do? And Dr. Strange turns to them and says, we've lost. Like, it's too late. We've already lost. The end. Continue next issue. Because I like, I love, dry, I, there are two things I try, try to do when I do my story. So one is I want to throw you. I want to surprise you with an ending that is not your traditional cliffhanger of, okay, now we're going to fight them. Because if Dr. Strange says, okay, now we're going to fight them, well, he's probably going to win because it's his book. But beyond that, I, I think stories, mine or whoever else's, I think they're really at their best if the characters in them are making interesting decisions. They should be decisions that make sense in the grand scheme of the story. If you once you've reached the end of the story, they should be decisions that are in the end can be viewed of as in character, even if in the moment they are not in character. But interesting characters making interesting choices is to me the what keeps the story vital and exciting and moving. I will use my favorite example, and I use this example all the time. I don't know how many of you out there have seen the movie The Frighteners by Peter Jackson. 20 years old, maybe. Michael J. Fox uh, playing in a, a dramatic horror slash comedy. I remember at the day, if you remember the early days of marketing of The Frighteners, it bombed the box office because they couldn't figure out whether to market it as a horror movie or a, a comedy. I think they marketed it as a horror movie and they didn't know what to do with it and they 
panicked and the next weekend they marketed it as a comedy and now nobody knows what they're looking at. Anyway, point being, one of my favorite movies, the perfect movie, just structurally, character-wise, there's just that movie has not an ounce of fat on it. It is flawless in terms of its plot. And one of the things I love most about it is that every single time one of the characters has to make a decision, it is the last thing in the world you would expect them to do. It is a left field. Every time somebody comes up to a, a, a fork in the road, they turn left when they should be turning right. And there is a reason for it as you find out as you go. But that's what – you're constantly in a state of, what are they doing? Why are they Why are they making this decision? Uh, the ending of Doctor Strange number 400 does not have quite that sense of gravitas. But again, this is a moment where Doctor Strange is at his lowest ebb. We lose. Get to the bottom of the page, and we have my favorite editorial typo of the last 20 years. Next month, turn the page for more anniversary adventures. No, no, don't wait till next month to turn the page for exciting anniversary adventures, please. Uh, what happened there was when I get to the end of every issue, I blurb it with next month. And then sometimes I will leave that blank until the lettering comes back for me to do the proofreading, because uh, at that point, I may not be sure exactly what the best thing to say next month is. And I guess when the lettering come back to, came back to me for proofing, I and no one else in the on the editorial team caught the fact that I hadn't plugged anything else in. So it just says, next month, turn the page for more anniversary adventures. I will fix it in the trade. That said, let's turn the page for more anniversary adventures. As I say, Nick Lowe's idea was let's go to Doctor Strange Artists of Yore pick up some of the great famous Doctor Strange artists, the most fabled legendary Doctor Strange artists of years past, and do some new work with them. That was the call to action, and you know, I, I tried to step up. My first entry here is a story called House Call, a very short five-page Doctor Strange story sort of hearkening back to the earliest Steve Decode Doctor Strange stories. They're five, six pages. Uh, a simple situation. Doctor Strange, there to deal with something magical, falls into a trap, gets out of it, helps another human being. Uh, this story in particular, as you read it, you will find is an example of me pulling back on the stick at the last second because the point of the story was it, be, it be kind of became uh, at the request of a different artist uh, who had who had talked to me about the story, a story about why are we all at each other's throats all the time in America today? Why, you know, why are we constantly... Uh, at each other. Now, I know why we're at each other's throats because we elected a baboon for president. But uh, we're at each other's throats. What can we do to make the world a better place? How do, we, how do we establish that we need to start talking to each other to make things make sense? So this boiled itself down into a story where some child is bullied you know, and, and ends up accidentally sending that bully into a, an, an, an alien dimension. Feels terrible about it. Doctor Strange comes, saves the bully, or tries to save the bully, but in the in the long run, it's the little kids. The kid who originally sends him into the dark dimension manages to pull him out. And there's a whole last page where I had about twice the dialogue you see here, where it was all about, oh, it's this, thank goodness the the children of the world have shown us the way in the light, and we must all band together. And just, it's on the nose. It was just so brutally on the nose. It was painful to read. So at Nick Lowe's suggestion, I went through with a hacksaw and took about a half the dialogue. I, I think it stands up a lot better now. Beautiful job by Butch Geis. Butch I had worked with Butch had worked with Dr. Strange in the in the 90s. Butch I had worked with on a 
book called Ruse back at CrossGen back in the uh, early 2000s, a detective book, uh, Sherlock Holmes-ish book, and beautiful work. I mean, I really enjoyed working with Butch. His work is exemplary. He can make everything you know, better than I write it on the page. And so joy to work with Butch, nice reunion. Um, we had not spoken for a long time since CrossGen because, you know, side note, CrossGen ended kind of badly for everyone. Uh, if you went back to the day CrossGen finally gave up the ghost, you would see the place almost literally in flames. We hadn't talked for a long time since then. This put us back in touch and and I like that. So, you know, two people come together again. That's nice. Oh, that's my first story. That's your first anniversary adventure. Let's turn the page. I remember I started talking about Dr. Strange's origin earlier on about three hours ago. I don't know how long we've been going now. And uh, he goes to the ancient – again, broken, shattered, surgeon goes to the ancient one, pleads for assistance. What do I do? And the ancient one at that time says, well, I can't help you, but you're snowed in here now. You're going to stick around for a while and I will teach – if you're humble enough – I'll teach you what I know, but in the meantime, you're at the mercy of my assistant, Carl Mordo, who we can see just by looking at him as a bad guy. You know, it turns out that he's uh, as the story, as the original Steve Dicko story progressed, uh, Stephen Strange is m- kicking around the temple, snowed in, bitter, pissed off, uh, and then sort of stumbles across the fact that Carl Mordo, ostensibly unbeknownst to the Ancient One, is plotting against the Ancient One. And plans to kill the Ancient One and, and take away his power, take his powers and take his throne. And Stephen Strange comes across this, finds this out, confronts Mordo. Mordo says, look, you know, you, I'm shutting you up. I'm mystically shutting you up. You can't – I'm spe- casting a spell. You can't tell him. Uh, if you do find a way to tell him, I'll kill you. And Stephen rolls this over and finally says, I, I can't do that. I've got to be – I've, I've got to put myself second here and go to the Ancient One. And the Ancient One, it turns out – Already knows this. Spoiler alert for a 45-year-old story. He already knows this, 55-year-old story. Uh, But this is a test. It's a test. He kind of knew all this was going to happen. Mordo was not in on it. Mordo will be summarily punished. But uh, this is all a test for Doctor Strange to see if there's any humility left in him, if there's any any selflessness left in him. Doctor Strange passes the test. Stephen Strange passes the test. Ancient One says, great, you're my new student. And that is the beginning of Doctor Strange. Uh, looking at that, I wanted in issue 400, because it's an anniversary issue, I felt like I like the retelling of an origin. I like I like sort of re- bringing newer readers up to speed. I like sort of hitting the the classic notes of the ancient uh, – the, the original story, the original origin story. I didn't want to just retell it as was because we've read it a thousand times. But uh, fellow writer Tom Pyre. A uh, friend of mine, we knock stuff around all the time, and Tom says, why don't you tell that story from the ancient one's point of view? Good call, Tom. You and Jeffrey Patterson are the MVPs of Doctor Strange 400. Uh, I sat down and thought, okay, let's tell it from the ancient one's point of view. Uh, but more to the point, we can do something we would not normally expect from a Doctor Strange. We can make it a flat-out comedy. Again, here's this guy from the ancient one's point of view. Here's this American who's shown up. And now he's trapped in this snowed-in temple and he's begging for help and the ancient one's like, I can't fix your hands. And so he's pissed. He's walking, walking around like, oh, I can't get cell phone reception up here. This is baloney. This is what you people eat. This is crap. It's it's. And then Carl Mordo is just suffering the whole time, 
listening to this arrogant American just whine and complain and complain and whine. And if I do say so, it's a pretty funny story, mostly because the legendary Kevin Nolan, one of the great Doctor Strange artists of all time, came in, drew and lettered the story. Uh, beautiful, beautiful looking eight-page story and brought the comedy to life. Uh, it's, you know, it's it's something you would not normally expect, a comedic take on Doctor Strange's origin. Turn the page for more exciting adventures. We actually get a nice two-page pinup from the artist Tom Palmer, who another comics artist long associated with Doctor Strange, who inked Gene Colan's pencils for the longest time. Uh, Gene Colan, another longtime Doctor Strange artist, uh, inked uh, Gene Colan's pencils, were probably Gene Colan's best inker of all time, and an artist in his own right. So, And I, this is a surprise to me. I didn't know this until the comic book actually showed up in my uh, draw in my Dropbox, but beautiful, beautiful two page pinup by Tom Palmer you know, from the beginnings of Doctor Strange to his you know to his most recent incarnation, and then we have a little bonus at the very end. You think we normally you think you get the pinup? Thanks for joining us. Thanks for enjoying our 400th issue. That you're done, but no, you get you get another five page one last five page story, uh, Nightmare, one of Doctor Strange's great villains. The the Beast who runs the nightmare dimension, the creature who run who who astride his great ebony horse of might and flame breathing uh, rules the dream dimension. And just a little story between me and with with me and Daniel Acuna is looking at what nightmares dreams would be like. What are nightmares? Nightmares. I don't want to spoil too much. Enjoy the story. Um, but that. There in, there in a nutshell is Doctor Strange 400 and hopefully a little bit of insight as to why some decisions were made, why it went certain ways, uh, what, you know, what informed some of the decisions. Hopefully there's a little bit in here about how I write, how I put things together. If any of that is useful to you, that is terrific. And I thank you for joining me. Thanks so much. Enjoy comics. Forever Dog. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcasts.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram, at Forever Dog Team, and liking our page on Facebook.